This podcast is being brought to you by WXAV.com. WXAV, bringing the best artists to you. So it's been a really busy year for you guys with the Punch Brothers. Earlier in the year, you released an absolutely fantastic album called The Phosphorescent Blues, and you have a brand new EP called The Wireless. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the recording process and how it went for your album and the uh, the EP? Because if I understand, you recorded both of them at the same time. Correct. So the music that ended up on the Phosphorescent Blues and also on the EP, The Wireless, um, the, all, the, all that material came out of the same recording sessions. We, we recorded in Los Angeles um, last year with T-Bone Burnett producing, and we've made it a habit to, to try to go into the studio with with more music than we know uh, could possibly fit on to one album. And similarly to how last record we had a companion EP uh, called Ahoy, um, which was the music that did not make it onto Who's Feeling Young Now, the wireless contains the, the songs that we recorded with T-Bone that didn't make it onto um, the Phosphorescent Blues. And you know, one, one interesting thing to, to point out in, is that we don't really think of this as um, kind of B material or um, you know the the stuff that wasn't up to snuff. When you're when you're sequencing an album, you're kind of putting on the same thinking cap that you would put on when you're when you're writing a set list for a live show. Mm-hmm. You're trying to create a compelling narrative from start to finish, and oftentimes, you know, something that you might consider one of the better songs or, or best material just may not fit into the sequence or may not fit the arc uh, of the rest of the record. And so there have been times that we've gone into the studio where things that we were sure were going to be major features of the main record ended up not translating in the way that it would, it would make it onto the main record. And there were times that things that we cut um, thinking it would be on the main record didn't even make it onto the, you know, the EP. And so it's really, there's no way to predict any of those things. You just have to go in and record once everything is, is, is recorded and mixed that's when the sequencing starts happening and one of the the decisions we make when we're sequencing the main album is like well if we use this for the main album are we leaving ourselves with you know a compelling ep as well like does that um we we try to balance things out and so it's it's not just an afterthought it is it's music that was written and recorded with the same intense is the stuff that made it on to, to the phosphorus blues. So it's exciting that that stuff is now going to see the light of day as well. But I think you bring up a really interesting point. I don't think, you know, the common music fan or listener really think it's about the sequencing of a record. What's going to be the opening track? What's going to close it out? I mean, that's got to be a, a real challenge for, for you as a band to figure out this puzzle of how to put it together. Right. Well, you know, I think we're still trying to be idealistic in the sense that we're hoping people are um, consuming the the music as an album, you know, in this day of, day and age of Spotify and Pandora, um, iTunes, you know, people could be just listening to one song or buying one song, and that'll happen. And you know, we don't discriminate against people who want to partake in just small bits and pieces of it. But we're still trying to to, to put something together that is a complete package and the sequencing is 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 a really difficult thing because it's it's a decision that make that happens kind of very late in the game and you know punch for those records are 
are the result of, of years of, 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 of work, of, of writing and thinking and, um, and just kind of brainstorming and conversations. And anytime you have something that you're getting ready to put to bed and let out, kind of let out into the ether, every decision uh, becomes a little bit more fraught with uh, anxiety of like, is this, like, we've gotten this far, you know, if we put this song first, is that, you know, is that, is that going to turn people off or is that going to be something that, that brings people in and starting the record with, with familiarity, which is kind of a, a three part, you know, 12 minute piece. That was something that we, we really went back and forth with, over whether that was the right decision. If, if, that was the uh, you know it would it would be too much for for the casual listener to to take on the first listen and we thought now we gotta we gotta trust our gut and like and not be thinking about any kind of radio consideration or accessibility considerations what's the best like what's the opening salvo of this record and that and that song had to go first yeah it's it's an absolutely amazing song and it's a really great unique way to to open up the record i remember when i put it on for the first time it really grabbed my attention with it let's backtrack a little bit can you talk about a little bit how you got into uh bluegrass and folk music yeah i uh so i grew up in chicago and um you know, a lot of people find that interesting that uh, I ended up playing the banjo, but there's actually pretty uh, pretty epic levels of, of folk music that have been uh, naturally existing in the Chicagoland area for at least 60, 60 years now. Uh, my brother saw a bluegrass band play at his, at his school when he was maybe 10 years old, and he started taking mandolin lessons, and so I... Uh, I uh, eventually became jealous and wanted to learn an instrument, so I started taking lessons at uh, the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago and did, uh, you know, just kind of ha- had this new hobby and just kept doing it and kept falling deeper in love with, with the banjo and bluegrass music and eventually became a, a passion that, you know, derailed every other um, pursuit yeah. <laughs> in, my, in, my, in my life and career. But it, it's just been, been something I've always had around and is, is now it's it's you know by far the most familiar thing to me uh, you know the banjo and music has been in my life uh, for a lot longer than than uh it than it hasn't and so it's just part of part of me now you know for for the the listener out there that's just getting into bluegrass or folk music because you're right chicago has an absolutely incredible bluegrass folk music scene you know what are some of your uh inspirations or or bands you would suggest for for people to go and check out that these were some of the acts that got you really even more into the music well as far as bands within the kind of metro chicago area um there's a band called the special consensus which has been together i think for 40 years now i think they just celebrated their 40th anniversary wow um, and it's led by a uh, really brilliant banjo player named greg cahill who's uh you know literally the the hardest working man in show business he's he's been running this band and and doing all the work for this band for, for 40 years and he's a world-class banjo player and, and when I found out that he lived about a mile away from me in Skokie, Illinois, when I was a kid, it was just like winning the lottery that I could go to his house and, and take lessons from him. And so I would, I would go see the special consensus play around the Chicago land area. They still play around Chicago quite a bit as well as, you know, playing nationally. One of the other real treasures of the um, Chicago acoustic music scene um, is a mandolin player named Don Stierenberg, which is that's S T 
S-T-I-R-N-B-E-R-G. Oh, well, I shouldn't be spelling this for the radio, but anyway, <laughs> Don Sternberg is, uh, is one of the, uh, the finest mandolin players out there and is, is not only a great bluegrass mandolin player, but he's a great jazz and swing player and was, um, kind of the protege of the great Jethro Burns of the Hunger and Jethro, um, show. And so Don was a guy that I could kind of listen to and see, you know, some of the, the possibilities on these instruments, um, outside of the, uh, the kind of country music and bluegrass, uh, roots, roots of the banjo and mandolin and, and the acoustic instruments. And so those two guys were real, real important to me. And, and just, there's still, there's still a lot of that tradition going on. Robbie Folks has, you know, kept one foot within the kind of the grass world. Um, great singer songwriter in Chicago, really clever guy. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not as in tune to the scene these days that now that I'm living in Nashville and I haven't lived in Chicago since I was in high school, but, uh, it was, it was a really friendly environment for, uh, for picking up bluegrass and, was also within striking distance of, of all of the great bluegrass and, and fiddling traditions that are happening in Indiana. And so I spent a lot of time going to festivals in, in northern Indiana and actually, you know, central Indiana and, and uh, played in a band with some young kids out there. And so it was it was a comfortable place to to really sink my teeth in. Now, speaking of, this, of the Chicagoland area, the Punch Brothers, you guys are coming back uh, on December 2nd. You're playing the Riolta Square Theater out in uh, Joliet. And for more information, go to their website, punchbrothers.com. They have all the ticket info there. For people who have never seen the Punch Brothers live, and I was lucky enough, I was able to see you guys live for the first time earlier this year at the Riviera Theater, and you guys are absolutely amazing. How would you describe the the energy that you guys bring to the stage? Because you guys are a really energetic band, and you just, you, it's a, this big sound you guys produce. You know, it's it's hard to pinpoint one thing that we do. We've been, to, we've been a band um, for, I guess, 10 years this Thanksgiving, and what's what drew us together initially has is, is continued to keep us interested and keep us motivated to create new music. And I think we, we all share this um, background in bluegrass music, obviously, because we have these, um, you know, the bluegrass instrumentation. That's, that's how we found each other. But I think the reason we were drawn to creating a band together was because of our diverse interests across the musical spectrum. And also this sense that we had the potential to really create new music with each other. And so I think our, our live show is, um, the meat, the meat of the live show is really the, um, that, that new music, the, the music we've realized together over the last 10 years, but, um, in performing live, like we like to provide context of, 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 by, by showcasing kind of all of the various things that we love that is, that, um, has informed our musical sensibilities. And so we get to play, Bluegrass, you know, traditional bluegrass. We play some Radiohead covers. You know, we, we, we cover the music of Josh Ritter, um, and we just have uh, a decade's worth of, of music now to, to draw from. And so it's a pretty varied set list. And so I think people can expect um, a good bit of music from Clash West and Blues, um, but uh, we still uh, kind of pull from our, our roots and our, you know, our current interests of what we're looking forward to. Thank you for listening to this WXAV.com podcast. 
Check out WXAV.com for future podcasts. WXAV, the escape from ordinary radio.